Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Back at it again for another edition of the Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. Hopefully you guys are getting it done today and ready to enjoy another great conversation. Our guest this week is Scott McKay, the man behind The Hayride. The Hayride is an online publication that has tons of attitude and it's intense and McKay doesn't mind telling you what he thinks, as you will hear in just a moment here on the show. First up, have you hit that subscribe button yet? If you haven't, you need to do that. Go on and get it done. If you have an iPhone or an iPad or if you use a MacBook, you can subscribe in iTunes to the show. It is absolutely 100% free. Can't get any better than that. Free is always the right price, especially when you get quality. And I do think this show is pretty good quality. So check it out every week. We are here with a new show on Thursdays. Hit the subscribe button, and that way you don't have to think about it. As I sit and record this right now, uh, this morning there was a panel discussion on LSU's campus and the Lot Cook Alumni Center, and it was the Louisiana Legislative Women's Caucus, and it was basically part of a series of events targeted at women who were thinking about running for public office. Really enjoyed sitting on the panel. There was great discussion there. We talked about setting up campaigns, some of the pitfalls uh, in running for office. The clerk of court for East Baton Rouge Parish was there. Let's see. The ethics board was there. Someone from the secretary of state's office was there. I was there and another consultant. And uh, it was really good, really good questions. There were some elected uh, officials there, female elected, uh, elected officials in the crowd who got a chance to talk about their experiences and what they've learned. And uh, I was just really glad to be a part of that. So it was fun. Don't forget. We've been telling you this on every show to remember the 22 Warriors for Freedom and the Louisiana chapter of that organization is urging you to remember the 22. We lose 22 military veterans a day to suicide. I'm going to keep talking about it because it's important to me. As I sit here with you, to my right is a giant American flag that hangs on the wall of my, my office here. And when people come in, you can't miss it. It's important to me. The men and women who defend the honor of that flag every day deserve our attention. They deserve our time. And yes, they deserve our money. So donate to causes like Warriors for Freedom Foundation. And you, too, can be a part of the solution in helping our military veterans. Let's see. Is there anything else? I am working on trying to get Richard Condon for next week's show. Condon is a personality. And that's about the best word I could use to describe it. And so you will know about it on Facebook or on Twitter if that's the case. Listen, you can follow me on Twitter at Clay Young BR, at Clay Young BR. And of course, on Facebook, just look up my name and follow what's happening with the show. I generally tell you who's going to be on and what's coming up. And, you know, we hadn't had an instance yet, but. You never know when there might be an impromptu show that happens before our regular Thursday show here at podcast225.com. I think that's it, y'all. Up next, we talk with Scott McKay, the man behind the Hayride. He's going to talk about politics, current events, and all things renegade. Scott McKay is next on The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. Clay Young and John Fabry here with Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. We talk a lot about the brand new deals, deals on brand new cars and SUVs, but it's a good time to be looking for something that's pre-owned as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Pre-owned is always a big part of our business. We're selling lots of new cars right now, which creates a lot of trade-ins, which creates a lot of opportunities for people looking for pre-owned cars. These are all well-cared-for cars. These are cars that have run through our shop. These are cars that... You can see all the background on it, know where it came from, know what service has been done, know what we have done to the car. And obviously, we have uh, certified cars, which Mm -hmm. have extended warranties. And all of these cars are, we have financing available. Right. Even if your credit is not perfect, we can help you with that as well. So no matter what the price range, no matter what the type of pre-owned car you need, we have it. That's Infinity of Baton Rouge and Infinity of Lafayette. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. 
Welcome back to the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Our guest right now is Scott McKay, the man behind the Hayride. So what would you consider yourself, an anarchist, an honesty agent, or, or what? Um, <laughs> radical conservative, perhaps? I don't yeah, know. I yeah. Ha- I'll have to give that some uh, so, some thought as to what kind of label I, I slap on myself. I mean, I've, I've been a conservative activist, um, and you could... I guess call me a conservative activist blogger, um, but uh, you know I, I really kind of call myself more of a publisher. Yeah. Because I got my start as a publisher. Right. I mean, I you know I did where Purple and Gold magazine. Yeah. From 1997 to 2004, and that was okay. kind of the the um, uh, my baptism in the media business, I guess. Um, so, and I still kind of think of myself that way. I mean, we you know we aggregate the content from. Uh, various writers on the hayride so it's yeah. not just my voice right um you know my stuff tends to be the uh uh you know maybe the most uh intense know, well maybe you know and i was gonna say noteworthy but that's not really fair because you know some of the other guys that write on the site are you know putting out really really good content especially these days um but you know people kind of associate the persona of the hayride with sure. what i do so What's the what's the genesis of your conservative ideology? Uh well, you know, I'm I'm kind of a Reagan kid, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, you know, I, I mean, I remember, uh, you know, I, I kind of got my politics from my grandfather, uh, who was a, um, a small business owner, yeah. and actually, actually, by the time he was done, he had built uh, the second largest. Uh, electrical contracting firm in the South. Right. Uh, but, I mean, he built it with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, you know, a guy, I mean, he had an eighth-grade education, right. but there was no better educated guy you could find my grandfather. Um, you know, and, and you know, by the time that I kind of sort of became a sentient being when it came to being able to watch the news and understand it, um, you know, my grandfather had some, you know, pretty uh, set-in-stone ideas about politicians and government and and you know, having kind of seen Louisiana from, you know, Huey Long to Edwin Edwards. Yeah, the, the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, he was one of the one of the people that uh, that really kind of got together and helped Dave Treen get elected governor in 1979 and, and uh, those kinds of things. And I mean, I kind of came up through that, saw Ronald Reagan get elected in 1980, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and sort of I mean, I graduated high school in 88. So mm-hmm. sort of my formative years were spent watching Reagan and the, you know, the, the upward trajectory of the country at the time and, you know, those kinds of things. But as an adult, um, you know, I, I kind of became a hardened conservative from personal experience. Uh, I mean, Describe I Describe your definition of hardened conservative. Um, you know, in terms of like my attitude toward government. Okay. okay. Um, it, it, like you'll understand it when I, when I kind of lay it out for you. I start Purple and Gold magazine, right? right? And, you know, it's a weekly publication that basically depends on the post office delivering the mail on time, right? right. Um, well, the way that genre of publication works is you've got to have, especially in the fall when everybody really cares, it's football season, right? Yep. So there's a game on Saturday. That's right. And we're going to put a magazine out that goes in the mail on Monday. That has to reach everybody's mailbox no later than Thursday, Friday at the absolute latest. Right. I would spend my Saturdays going to tailgate parties at LSU and dropping off a copy of the magazine to subscribers from New Orleans who hadn't gotten it in the mail by then. And they would call the office. I mean, Friday at noon, you know, once the mail had come, the magazine didn't show up. Okay, all right, where are you going to be on campus? And we will, you know, we will find you and give you a copy of this. I mean, you know, and, and we, we had, you know, we were paying kids yeah. to deliver, you know, per, per hour to deliver the magazine on campus because the post office didn't do it. And, of course, you know, the Internet had just gotten started. And, I mean, every year it got worse and worse with people like, man, I can go on a message board and get instantaneous information right. that I have to wait a week for you guys to give it to me, even though I know you have it, you and your information is better than what's on a message board, but why wait five days? Big publications are struggling with that now. With the immediacy of the Internet, you don't have to wait to get anything well, in the mail. And, and some of that is just technological right. and, the, and the, the old print you know, format. I mean, I, I'm an Internet now, guy now, and I mean, okay. there's the, the medium to deliver your your message is so mm-hmm. much better. But the point was, you were dependent on the post. I couldn't fire the post office, right? There was, 
There was no, no. way to like I could. Okay, we're going to start delivering the magazine FedEx. I mean, it was cost prohibitive to do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I, I was like, okay, here is the federal government failing to do a job, right? That the private sector could do, you know, and, and there would be a method that we could do this. Then I get out of doing purple and gold because the internet ultimately completely ate our subscriber base, and I get started. Um, you know the uh, the missing child card that shows up mm-hmm. in your mailbox. Yeah, I was a Baton Rouge rep for the company that did that. Okay, um, but what you'll notice is they don't have that missing child card anymore. It's printed on that that big package of junk mail. It shows yeah, up. that was the post office that did that. Okay, they came like we used to let you do a detached address label that you could use as a you know a, a, a ad sales piece that you could. Do. Now we're going to do away with that, or we're going to charge you like out the wazoo for it. Just so happens that I was the Baton Rouge rep selling ads for that, and I had I was the king of the missing child card. Three quarters of my book of business was selling ads on that, and the post office. Go, it's like the second time in like four years they've destroyed my livelihood, and I was like, okay, you know, and I really hate the government now. And then you know I got into um, you know because this job, this the, the company was getting bought out by somebody else. Actually, the people that were buying out the company I was working for, right. Uh, primary, primarily their mode of business, or there was another direct advertising sales company, but they sold newspaper inserts. Well, for three years, I had been selling against newspaper inserts. Like, whatever you do, don't put your ad money in newspaper inserts because they're raping you, right? I mean, they're just raking you over the coals. Whatever you do, don't waste your money on that. And now they're like, uh, by the way, you're going to have a quota of newspaper inserts, sales are going, I can't do, I can't, I can't go back to any of the people that I've been talking to for the last three years. I think really, like, oh, so you're like just a liar. So That's I said, right. All right. Well, That's you right. know, I don't have any credibility doing this anymore. So, you know, I'm going to look into something else. Well, <clears throat> I get into franchise consulting, which at the time, you're talking about 2006, 2007, um, you know, the economy was basically booming. Everybody wanted to start a business. Um, and we get into this in the first six, eight months, we're blowing and going and we're matching people up who want to start a business with franchisors who are looking for franchisees. Um, and it, you know, there was really, it looked like there was going to be a great future to it. And then the credit market fell apart because of what the feds had done with the housing. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so you're 0 for three. And, but the skills that I'd learned doing franchise consulting translated into something else. So I go to work for a staffing company and I'm a corporate recruiter and I'm Mm -hmm. doing engineers and construction managers, okay, which in Baton Rouge is you're working in the petrochemical industry, oh, yeah. right? You're either working for industrial contractors or you're working for the plants themselves, finding them people. And this is, uh, this is 2009, okay? Uh, Congress is debating cap and trade. Yep. So what happens is if you're, uh, if you're trying to, to do headhunting for engineers, construction managers, what you, what you need is the plants to continue to do those 15, 20, 25 million dollar turnaround projects, upgrades, maintenance, whatever, that they bid to the engineering firms, the industrial contractors. And, you know, the buzz was, I mean, this was the, the, the BRAC people and, oh, no, 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 cap and trade is good for Baton Rouge because it's going to force those plants to uh, retool and modernize land. Tell that to BASF, mm-hmm. which is a multinational corporation that has places all over the world and they're like, yeah, okay, that turnaround project, we're going to do that $20 million thing. We're not doing it this year. Because if they pass this cap and trade thing, we're bricking this whole facility up and moving it to Brazil or India or whatever. So I got two stacks on my desk. I got resumes of people that are looking for jobs, and I got jobs I need to fill. Okay, the jobs I need to fill stack starts shrinking. It's got like two sheets on it. The resume stack is sky high. Yeah. And I'm calling guys – Hey, um, you know, you're petroleum engineer. You interested in going to Kuwait? And the response is, man, I'm 57 years old. I got season tickets to LSU on a 35-yard line. I ain't going to no Kuwait, right? So, I mean, I finally got like, okay, this is four times. Right. This is four. I mean, we're looking at 2009. This is four times in six years. I'm trying to make a living, and some jackass at the federal level is doing something that makes it hard for me to make a living. I want revenge, right? So instead of going build bombs and you know running trucks into Oklahoma City freaking government buildings, I decided I'm gonna go, you know I'm gonna get back into publishing. I'm not gonna go waste money on a printer and and I'm certainly not gonna pay the post office, 
right? I'm going to go on the internet. I'm going to I'm going to embrace the medium that that kicked my butt yeah. back in 2004 and you know, I, I want to talk about politics and I want to go after these SLBs. Man, you are if I may use this as a description, the rawest person and it's hilarious a lot of the stuff that cuz it's clear that you're poking people. It's clear. I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like them, and I know they don't like me, but I don't care because I, I dislike them more than they dislike me. So where would you grade grade the public's, in your own words, the right. public's opinion of government, period, right now? Well, and I've said this. I think, okay, you, you look at the polls, right, mm-hmm. and distrust of government. You know, they ask these questions like, does the government have the consent of the governed? Um, you know, do you have faith in the government? to be effective in solving problems. And the government approval ratings just in general are in the 20s, right? And I think part of the problem is is a lot of what I learned dealing with the post office, okay, which is we have a government that was designed to service an industrial age 20th century society, okay? Um, You know, there's been, I mean, I'm going to get kind of deep here, but it's a podcast, so I guess I can. Yeah, you can. Um, (laughs) You can do what you want to do right here. No government. You you brought the wrong guy into this freaking room, (laughs) let me tell you. Um, But, okay, when the founding fathers got together, okay, we had an agrarian society, and they, they established the Constitution primarily as a means of running an agrarian country where right. you know it, every, you know self reliance is the key. You live out on a farm, okay. When the Indians come, you better damn well have a gun to defend yourself, right? Because there's nobody coming, right? right? Um, and so most of what the Constitution was built for was a fiercely independent, um, you know, uh, self reliant society that you know really didn't want. They wanted the, they wanted the troops to come and keep the Indians away. Right. They wanted a Navy to keep the British away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they wanted things like, you know, canals and roads where necessary. And other than that, they really wanted the government out of their hair because right. they knew there was nothing the government could do for them that was worth a damn. And they had seen examples of that in Europe where everything ended up going belly up. Right. You know, when they, when they go, whenever the government gets involved, it's the king and he's going to screw up my life. So give me away from that. Well, and that worked extremely well. The Industrial Revolution comes along and, you know, the progressive movement gets started to sort of change the, the, the business model of government to ref- reflect more of a an industrial age, urbanized. Most of the things that that the progressive movement goes for uh, are, are to solve kind of urban industrial problems, mm-hmm. right? You know, labor relations and, you know, uh, you know the, the government regulation to keep businesses from screwing people and, you know, and, and, you know, the welfare state to deal with, you know, people who are, you know, too old or too sick or whatever, they can't work and we've got to, you know, do this kind of thing. You know, transportation, you got to build roads and all of these. And then you got the environmental movement and all of these different things. They're all industrial age constructs, right? When you talk to a liberal and you ask them, you know, well, what is it that you guys have actually done good for them? Well, if it wasn't for us, there'd be, you know, you'd have 10 year old kids working in factories, right? We did child labor laws and then they act like that's a big deal. Well, go to BASF down the river, right? And ask them, look, if we got rid of all the child labor laws, how many 10 year olds would you hire? And they look at you like, like, what are you, stupid? We're not going to hire a 10-year-old. The liability would kill us. Right. All right. So you have a government that's built for that kind of 100 years ago type society. We're in the information age now, okay? And so most of the things that government does, all right, maybe not most, a lot of what government does, bordering on most of what it does. You know, if I had a, a couple of drinks, I'd probably say everything government does. Um, Look over your left shoulder. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, the second half of the show is going to be great. Um, are, are, are things that are largely obsolete. Yeah. Okay, here in Baton Rouge, I'll give you a perfect example. We have these people on the library board, okay? All right, everybody's like, look, you got 60 million squirreled away. That's a lot of money, oh, right? Yeah. You got 60 million. Um we need to drop your millage so that we can maybe address some other infrastructure issues around the city. And their response is what? No, we need more tax dollars, right? Let me tell you something. 
you, if you took that $60 million to Jeff Bezos at Amazon, he would give you a Kindle for everyone that lives in East Baton Rouge Parish and probably a monthly allowance that you could download whatever books you wanted, okay? And I mean, Amazon would fall all over themselves to take a deal like that and say, let us be your library. You get to keep the books. Mm -hmm. Nothing is ever checked out and you can't get it. It's right there. Right. Okay. And we, they might even subsidize the facilities so that, like, look, let's turn them into reading rooms and we put Amazon's logo everywhere and they, you know, we sell coffee and nobody harangues you about race relations when you get the coffee like right. they do at Starbucks. What the? Okay. I'm going to get to that a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah, we no, can no, talk no. About that yeah. but, uh, there are a few things that happened in the news recently that I said they were like manna from heaven when I knew I was going to talk with you. Yeah. And that's one of them. But, but, but going back to that, the concept of government's view of money and spending versus, say, the free market. Well, all right, we live in a society. Bill Whittle, who's one of my favorite Bill, people I of all know time. Bill Whittle. Whittle says this. Talk all the about time. a build it with your own two hands kind oh, of guy. Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah. But what, one of the things that Whittle says is we live in a society where if you're eating a burrito at a restaurant somewhere at lunch, you can pull out a smartphone and order steel from China right then and there. Okay? Now, that's our society. Mm -hmm. Let's go look at all of the ways that government you know, uh, affects that society. And how many of those ways are actually up to date with what we have? We have taxi cab commissions all over the country, right? Taxi, taxi's a failed model. I mean, that's, that's, that's obsolete. When you have Uber, oh, yeah. there's no reason, there is no reason whatsoever to have a taxi cab. Now, what commission. about people who say about Uber? Because I, I remember having this conversation. I've got friends who own car dealerships here, mm -hmm. and they use Uber in other places. And mm -hmm. then we were just talking back and forth about the, the chatter. What happens when people say, well, you know, I don't know. You can have an axe murderer or a serial killer who just hasn't committed a crime yet sign up for Uber, and they could be a danger to the people that they're driving around. And that, and that wouldn't happen with a taxi cab company? I mean, what, how is, I mean, yeah, okay, there, there's a risk that you might hire the wrong people. You don't tell, I mean, did you ever see the Robert De Niro movie, right? I mean, that guy wasn't an Uber <laughs> no, driver. No, 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 he, no. It wasn't Uber driver. The name of that movie was Taxi Driver, <laughs> Taxi driver right? right? There's, I mean, there, that is, that is a, a risk that's inherent to any kind of service business. It has nothing to do with Uber. Now, you can complain, well, you know, Uber does price gouging on, you know, a Saturday when there's an LSU game or whatever. That's an argument for some other company to come into the market and compete with Uber. Yeah. It's not an argument against Uber. I mean, I, I, you know. It's the way the market I, works, man. Look, ideally. Hotels charge more yeah, during holiday season. Yeah, but, but when you have two hotels, guess yeah. what? There's, you know, you don't have that, that kind of imbalance in the market that right. they can take advantage of. You give me sidecar and Lyft to come into this market and mm -hmm. compete with Uber, mm -hmm. all right? I mean, you know, either the current taxi companies are going to have to change their business model to survive in the marketplace or, you know, they're out, frankly. And I mean, I suggested this two years ago when all this crap came up about the cats tax. Yeah. Okay. You have a bus system that nobody wants, right? I mean, nobody, nobody rides a bus. I mean, you can follow those buses around and look in the, in the window. Nobody's riding the bus. And we got 18 million of our tax dollars freshly going in there on top of the, whatever they had 12 million before for that much money. Okay, you could bring in all these rideshare companies and just give people a, an, a rideshare allowance, right? And mm -hmm. here, look, if you have a cell phone, here, use this app, and you know the city will pay for your will, will pay for your ride. Nobody would choose the bus over getting a ride shotgun in some guy's car. I didn't even know that there was such an aggressive like taxi lobby here in town. When you think about moving around here. I you rarely it, well, ever it's see nothing a taxi. like it is in New Orleans. Oh, absolutely, but that's a major international destination. Well, New it, Orleans it's is. all it's also that the Russian mob owns all the cab companies in New Orleans. <laughs> we don't have the Russian mob in Baton Rouge at this point. That's so. you know of. Well, they might be more like the Ukrainian mob here. Is that, is that right? <laughs> they don't quite pack the firepower they do down, down in, uh, in the Big Easy. So I have a list here, and this is going to be fun. You've already I already can tell it's going to be fun. Bobby Jindal. Um, I'm one of those people that if a pollster, you know, called me and said, you know, do you approve or disapprove of, of Governor Jindal? I would be in the 27% who say they approve. Okay. Really? Now, 
I would be lying. You? I would be lying by being in that 27% because there are things about Jindal that I'm, you know, just disgusted that at the missed opportunities and so forth. For instance. Well, I mean, you know, this whole this a lot. I mean, and I, you know, and I was on a hayride back in 2011 mm-hmm. beating Jindal to a pulp. And actually, the first column I ever wrote for the American Spectator was, look, before you guys go off on the boy wonder Bobby Jindal, you need to pay attention to the fact that he can't do a budget worth a damn. Okay, the budget has always been my biggest problem with Jindal. And now it's he's good. Let it get so bad that it's just I think it destroys his political career, frankly. Um, But that having been said, I mean, that education reform is fabulous. It happened, but it was toothless. Well, I mean, no, I mean, you're, he's creating a, an educational marketplace in this state, and he's setting forces, or he has set forces loose that can't be put back in the box. What about okay? what about the flipping uh, the flipping sides on Common Core? I'm the wrong guy to ask about Common Core, Clay. Okay, I couldn't care less about Common Core. As far as I'm concerned, Common Core is rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. All right. Okay. Well, let's let's dig into that. Why do you say that? Okay. We just got finished with the whole presentation yeah, of yeah. information age society, sure. industrial age government. Because I support personally us having to have standards and we graduate kids from high school who can't read. Well, no, no, no. I, look, I'm not, that's not my, that's not my place to argue. Okay. okay? I mean, I, I, I understand the rationale for common core. Mm-hmm. I understand the rationale. I mean, call it whatever it. you want to, but you have to have standards. No, well, I'm fine with that. Yeah. I'm not invested in the model of public education okay. that all of this is built around, okay? I mean, public education in the United States is a construct of the early progressives who went to Germany in the 1850s and saw what they were doing with the schools, okay? The Prussians uh, had it in their head that they were going to conquer the rest of Germany, okay, and unify Germany, which hadn't been unified since the freaking Huns had it or whatever, all right, and they were gonna they were gonna do this. All right, and they were they were a very militaristic society. Okay, they created the reason the reason we use the word kindergarten and it's a German word mm-hmm. is because the Prussians were the ones that said, okay, we're gonna take everybody, we're gonna put them in an age based cohort, and they're gonna go, you know, kindergarten all the way up to twelfth grade, and they're gonna graduate, and you're gonna be in the same group with the same people, and you will sit in a chair and you will be quiet and you will. You will do as you're told. They're going to lecture to you. And you're, this is, you know, your life mm-hmm. from the time you're five all the way to the time you're 18 years old. Okay. And that system was built basically on rigid discipline. Okay. I mean, you, you know, you talk back to the teacher in class, you, you know, you don't pay, you know, you get the crap beat out of you was the way that system was supposed to work. All right. That is, used to be that way here too. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Okay. And, but it, and it was sort of a regimented, you know, militaristic type system. Well, the progressives, if you go back in, in history and you read the writings of the uh, early progressives to Woodrow Wilson, they're all about sort of militarizing society. It used to be that one of the watchwords of the progressive movement was um, the moral equivalent of war, right? In other words, what they were saying, we want to organize society such as we're going to go to war, but we don't want to go to war, Right. So, in other words, what it is is restricting people's freedom. Our society is such that, you know, we're not going to allow people to impose that kind of discipline on our kids, okay? So the entire construct of public education, which, you know, even private schools have to sort of tail in off of that because it's what people expect, doesn't work. You go talk to any public school teacher, how am I supposed to keep control of these kids, right? They don't believe in that discipline. You problem. can't go beat the crap out of some kid that's, nope. that's cutting up in class. Well, you can't make them sit there bored for eight hours a day in a classroom in an uncomfortable chair and not make it, you know, beat the crap out of you if you don't stay in a chair. So we have this entire educational system that's built off of something that is long past. And, I, you know, I don't know how to redesign it, but, I, you know, my idea Technology is, is... can be a big part of it. I, I have this idea in my head that if you just set education loose in a marketplace... What you would end up with, okay, is really good teachers who go hang up a shingle in Beauregard Town somewhere, like, you know, like all the lawyers mm-hmm. do. And, you know, it's some old house that's been turned into an office. And the kids come in, there's 12 or 15 of them, okay, and it's almost like a Montessori thing, they from 6 to 14 years old or whatever. And everybody's got 
a, a, a tablet or a laptop, okay? Techno I mean, everybody's doing, you know, doing their lessons on a computer. There's a conference room, and at 10.30 in the morning, some professor from the University of Iowa is going to give a lecture on algebra, right? Um, and then, you know, like everybody kind of learns at their own pace or, or the pace the teacher imposes on them or whatever. And then at 2 o'clock, the Uber guy comes and takes four of them to baseball <laughs> practice, okay? Um, and, you know, all of this is done. And, and, like, you know, if mom and dad are in such a way that we can get the kid to school at 745, fine. If it's 830, that's fine, too, because all of this stuff is personalized, like we expect in the private marketplace. Do you know that's never going to happen? Well, why wouldn't it happen? I mean, the most interesting stuff going on in education right now, homeschoolers. Yeah. And they're doing, I mean, this is basically just kind of contracted out homeschool. And that's growing. And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that that is the model, but I'm saying if you had a wide open marketplace and you were going to just like, what, what, let's see what education is going to do. My guess is, is you'd have a whole bunch of people that would operate on that because if I'm a really good teacher, okay, I can control 12, 15 kids. I mean, I can do that. That's doable. All right. Um, Instead, we've got to go have the most expensive possible uh, uh, solution, which is we're going to go build massive brick-and-mortar institutions. Mm -hmm. We're going to staff them. There's been something like a 700% increase since, like, 1975 in non-teacher personnel that work at schools. Yeah. Okay? The overhead on these things is ungodly. School all right? system in EBR has a nearly half-billion-dollar operating That's budget. That's ridiculous. Is with, I mean, you got 40,000 students in that system? Yeah. 84 schools, and you've got that's, uh, that's, that's half a billion dollars. That's, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's a waste of money. I mean, it's a massive waste of money. So then and you was... can't find anybody competent to run that system. All right? I mean, we've established that beyond a shadow. There's a of good account. guy. There, there, there's a possible good guy coming in, though. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, it's the Titanic. Well, and if you blew the system open, one, you're saying open it up to the free market. I'm saying if you, well, all right. L let me illustrate it. Okay. Uh, you remember Wall Street? Best movie of 1986, yeah. right? Gordon Gecko. Yep. Big swing, and you know what? Good. Right. Yeah. He's sitting in the back seat of the limo. And he's got, at the time, something that people would just ooh and on over. A which cell was, phone. He's got, yeah, it's a cinder block. <laughs> That's right. Looked like a military radio. Okay? Like he's holding up a loaf of bread the, the, the up to gigantic, the next side of his Absolutely head. Yeah. gigantic yeah. thing that, you know, in today's money would cost ten grand, and the cell plan would be 1000 bucks a month. <laughs> right. Can't play Angry Birds on a thing, no. right? Okay. But that was the, the height of technology. Right now... Every gangbanger in the hood has a smartphone that, you know, has more computing power in it than it took to go to the moon. Yeah. I mean, vastly more. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, you know, they can use a phone for what they can order steel from China. Right. Okay. Gordon Gecko couldn't order steel from China on his freaking cell phone. Right. All right. And yet the schools in 1986, number one, looked a lot like they do now. And number two, were better at what they did than what they are now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now. Why is it that cell phones have come so far and the schools have, have gone back? Well, the difference is, is one of them has to respond to the marketplace and the other one just takes your tax dollars, okay? So I'm not interested in hearing how we have to preserve the current model of public education for eternity. It's obsolete. It's crap. I don't care. If, I mean, you want to do Common Core, you don't do Common Core. The system still sucks, okay? Right. I mean... I would, I, you know, I, I agree that, yeah, you want to ca hold people to standards and all this kind of stuff. I think if you gave people choice, all right, you would see the parents demand those standards. You don't get to act like a consumer if you have a kid in public school, all right? Start your kid in kindergarten or public school. By the time your kid's in fourth grade, you've given up. When you go over and say, look, I, I need this, and you, you're doing this, and this is right, and they just, like, you know, you mean you give up on the system? Yeah, I mean... Well, it depends on the school. I there think, are communities well, yeah, sure. where the schools yeah, there, are some, work. there are some good schools. I'm yeah. not going to say they're not. Yeah. But I, I, the, the problem people in public school, a lot of them, their kids been in the public school system for five years, and they're done. They, but, they know that the school doesn't care about them. But and a lot of the parents don't give a crap. I know. I know, because there's no, there's no choice or responsibility for yeah. them. If everybody had to go out and find an educational solution for their kid and they were invested in that solution rather than being told, you live over here, your kid's going there, 
you might get a little bit more buy-in from parents that, 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 that would care about well, their kids. You call it private school because that's what happens. There are people who don't like the public school that their kids are assigned to. Right. And either they pay for private school initially or they get a second or third job in the case of some parents right. to pay for tuition for their kid to go somewhere while they're already having their tax dollars taken to pay for a system that they may not use. And that's a, not every school because there's right. some darn good public schools out there. Right. But I mean, you know, and in the local case, the other option is they go move to Denham Springs. Yeah. Or Ascension. Yeah, or, or, or you move know, up to Central, whatever, or live in Zachary. Right, you know, yeah. I'm going to go now. Now I'm going to go waste an hour of my life trying to commute and fight that traffic in yeah. town, which know? is a whole other thing. But we were talking about Jindal, and and you know, I just pull a string. Well, and, I, look, and I mean, I, I, you said you would you would be is, in the success un- category. Well, he has unleashed some market forces in education that over the course of 10, 15 years or whatever can't be put back in the box, and I think that really does. And you know, and I, even though I wouldn't recommend the way he did it bricking up those charity hospitals and moving them into the private sector had to be done and he did it and i think he gets a lot of credit for that um i think bobby jindal's main problem and what has made him sort of i mean you know now he's a liability for the republican party in louisiana i don't think there's any there's question no doubt about that. um but I th- his problems are political more than policy Okay. Now the budget is that's policy. That's policy all day long. But and some but, of the, but it's so, also but Clay, it's also political because the reason the budget is as screwed up as it is, okay, is we have locked up so much money that comes in yeah. in all of these dedicated, you yeah. know, th- and it gets worse every year. It does get worse, but it's a function of also not addressing the problem, kicking the can down the road by using one-time money for recurring expenses. Right. You know these expenses are going to recur every year. Right. And after a while, you keep going into the, the jar, you keep the money in, and nothing's in there. You're not putting anything in. I agree. But he's doing that because the politics are weak. We need but whose fault is that? No, it's Jindal's fault. Well, it's the people who advise Jindal's fault. Okay. Are you going to go there? Uh, let me. You, let me. Gonna, let me go there. Let me flesh out what I was. Gonna, what I'm going to say first, and then I'll decide whether I want to go there. It's a political problem because four years ago we should have done comprehensive tax reform in the state. Yeah. Okay. That should have been done, and it also it's a political thing because, like, what was it last year? We had the constitutional. We're going to protect the coral reefs. Yeah. Right. And the public was presented, should we protect the coral reefs or should we not protect the coral reefs? Well, everybody's going to protect the coral reefs, so it passes, mm-hmm. right? Nobody, and this is where Jindal should say, look, you can vote for this amendment if you want, all right? But every dime you put behind those coral reefs, and I don't dislike the coral reefs, but that's money that we can't spend on LSU. Which one's more important to you, the coral reefs or LSU, Okay. The thing doesn't get 35% if it's framed in that choice. Mm-hmm. It's the governor's job to say, look, you are tying my hands, and when the money is not there, I can't cut the coral reefs to save LSU. I'm going to have to have LSU go down the tubes so that we can protect the coral reefs. Nobody can study the coral reefs because we had to shut down the marine biology department at LSU, but we got the coral reefs. We can hire somebody from the University of Texas to do that for us, right? I mean, that that's political. You yeah. have to have the political skills to drive public opinion to get things done, and you at have the to be invested here. And I don't you think know, he's been really invested here. That's also political. That's also political. The major problem I see with Jindal is when Timmy Teeple signed up with on message yeah. and Anderson Brothers out of DC. The criticism of Bobby Jindal went from, if you'll remember this in his first term, he's in a helicopter going speak at a church at Shongaloo of a remember. Sunday, right? That The advocate did this big... Nobody at the advocate seemed to care that Coach Blanco was taking the state helicopter to go watch a USL football game every Friday, yeah. right? Or every Saturday. Nobody cared about that. They care about Jindal going to speak at a church on a Sunday. But you went from Shongaloo to Cedar Rapids, right? And Manchester and Columbia and Spartanburg, Right? And he's now all over the country. Mm-hmm. And like this Common Core thing, like I said, I'm the wrong guy to ask about Common Core because I don't care. All right. But Common Core is something Jindal is making a big deal on. He's got $1.6 in a hole. 
right? That needs to be, he's got, that, that's got his legacy is like, one. okay, yeah. we need to do comprehensive tax reform. And here yeah. is my program to do that. We need to reform state government. You know, we, we need to come up with some plan that we're going to de, uh, de, um, um, or unlock these funds in all mm-hmm. these dedicated accounts. Cause Jindal has said not effectively, but has said, and I think to some degree he's right. It's not one time money. I'm raiding these dedicated funds that shouldn't be dedicated because we ought to have the ability to prioritize. Still, it's it's still money that you can't go back to after a period of time to get to fill holes. Yeah, uh, to some extent that's true, but you you can't tape your ankle when you break your wrist. I I okay, I I'm with you there. Yeah, but okay, I'm only saying we should have been having serious. Even if it's got to be fights on both sides, we should oh, have had those fights long before should. now. And, and look, this business of, well, we're going to sell state property and we're yeah. going to put the money in the back. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like the convention center fund in New Orleans. OK. And it's got $100 million oh, in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. the reason it has $100 million in it is because they're absolutely raping people who yeah. come stay at a hotel in New Orleans with a tax that they don't have any money to, or they don't have any use for the money that's coming in, that tax should have gotten cut, right? Hotel, motel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the tax should have gotten cut. That's that is that is government overtaxing the people. When you're Paul generating, Paul is going to key your car. You might want to, you know. Well, and hey, it is what it is. But, um, you know, and th- but that case was never made. Right. Okay. He just let him criticize in front. What he should have said, and, and you know, one of the things that he said that I thought was was actually pretty good messaging, although it, it was kind of shot out there and left alone, was, what would you rather me do? Go raid a government bank account or go raid your bank account for money to balance the budget, right? That's actually, that's correct, all right? But it's not all. I mean, there was some legitimate one-time money in there. But the problem is, is he's never gone out and made the case. He's like, look, we need to structurally reform state government because there is way too much money that's locked up in these but dedicated not a constitutional accounts. convention. You're going to see a constitutional convention. You think so? Within the next two to three years, I guarantee it. Because it's got to be done, okay? I mean, it has to be done. That constitution is a joke. What kind of havoc is created from that, though? You know what I mean? Who knows? Who knows? When you let the... Well, look, it just depends on who's writing the Constitution, all right? I mean, it just, that that's what it depends. You're going to have a lot of, all of the legislature, right? Mm-hmm. In the kitchen, mm-hmm. rooting through the refrigerator, as they say. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look... Are you comfortable with that? Uh, yes look, or no? Come I'm on, not, McKay. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with anything the state <laughs> okay. government does. I mean, that, that's, again, I'm the wrong guy to ask that question. <laughs> but, you know, and, and as much as I think all of us would love to have this sort of independent legislature, yeah. we don't have a mature enough political class in this state to function properly along those lines. What do you, you mean You need by that? a strong leader in the governor's mansion who is engaged and who has a vision that he will absolutely demand, you know, the, the minions in the legislature who don't think too well for themselves, you will vote for this or I will see you beaten in the next election. But, you know, the governor... And I, and I look, and I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of the strong man in politics. But that's, that's what's happening, though. The, the, our governor's office... Well, it's always by, been that way. By statute, is powerful and absolutely. holds holds tremendous sway over the legislature. And so you've got lawmakers who've got to take what they can get because the governor says, nah, I'm not going to give you all that. I'll give you a little bit of this, mm-hmm. but you better be with me a hundred percent over on this. Absolutely. Well, that look, that's power politics and yeah. that happens pretty much in any democracy. Yeah. So that I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I'm accepting to some extent of that. I think the big issue is, you know, and there are people who say, well, you did term limits and you caused this problem. You had crappy legislators long before term limits. In fact, they were institutionalized crappy legislators back then. <laughs> some of them, you know, you had you had some talent, but you know, for the most part, I mean, you had really crappy legislators. And, and I think part of it is the nature of our politics is so sort of you know retail politics and and you know who can tell a joke and this kind of stuff. Yeah, and we don't really have intellectual discussions in advance of our elections. Well, but, okay, you're going to open up another big one there. That is always one of my pet peeves. It's like I work in and and run a company that helps with messaging and public relations. Mm -hmm. However, 
a place that I like it the least is in politics. And I'm not some Pollyanna naive person. I know how the game works. But when I've sat with candidates, I tell them, master the art of answering the question that you were asked. (laughs) I mean, really, you know how it goes. It's like. Finding every way not to answer the question. <laughs> they, they, they master the art of not doing that. I don't know what he's <laughs> talking about. And that's the problem. And so what happens is now when someone actually answers a question, the public says, oh, my God. People fell in love with Chris Christie because mm-hmm. they thought he was so brutally honest and candid. And then they realized he might have been that guy, but now it's just a shtick. Right. He, he loves to go to a press conference yeah. and then bully somebody. Right. Now, yeah, now he's just, now he's just a, a big, fat, mean guy. That's right. That's right. right. He didn't start out that way. No. He seemed like someone who was just a genuine guy who didn't put up with crap. Right. Now he just looks like he bullies people. Right. He'll bully anybody. A kid in a wheelchair asking a question out of turn and, oh, yeah. you know, he's about to, you know, jump on him yeah. or something. Yeah, he's got to go off. So let's talk about this. A couple things I want to get into. Who's going to be the next governor? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I, okay. You, what you have right now is you've got an electorate that's basically split three ways. A third mm-hmm. of it is David Vitter people. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've got a third of it that is um, Tell this is a Democrats. raw, real podcast because his phone yeah. is ringing right now. That's uh, the governor's office calling him, by the yeah, way, to tell him exactly. to shut the hell up. Um, you, you have uh, a, third of the, a third of the electorate's Vitter's people, a third of the electorate's Democrats. And then there's another third that's kind of in the middle. Okay, So Vitter's going to get Vitter's third, right? Right now, John Bell Edwards is going to get the, Dem- the Democrats' third. Is Jay and, Darden the guy? Well, you got you got Darden and Angel who are in that third third competing for those votes and because they're in the third third neither one of them can make the runoff as things stand right now either that third has to grow or there has to be like a second democrat get in a race okay because if jay darden let's say could get in a runoff with vitter i think he could win yeah i don't know that he will but i think he could yeah he can't get into the runoff with he's fighting on jail for a third of the vote right i mean it's just straight math okay um, and, you know, can Darden steal some of John Bell Edwards' vote? Possibly. He's the Republican most likely to get. He, yeah, he get, has some get crossover. Get the Democrat here. Democrat, because most of the registered right. voters here are registered Democrat, even though the state votes Republican overwhelmingly. That, that's correct. So, but the way, you know, and, and if you get a, a runoff that's Vitter and Edwards, Vitter's going to win that. No question. Enormously. So, and right now, Vitter looks like the guy that you can pretty much guarantee is going to make the runoff. Mm-hmm. Unless something happens. I mean, it's a sure. long time between sure. now and then. Sure. But, like, the, elect- the election was Saturday. You know, Vitter's mm-hmm. going to be in a runoff, and it's probably going to be Edwards he's in with. So, you know, like, one of the interesting dynamics that you see with the governor's race is, okay, you know, is there going to be a second Democrat, right? You know, Mitch? Uh, there was a lot of talk about Mitch. Yeah. And then Mary got pounded. And now there's no talk about. Yeah, I heard some whispers about three weeks ago, though, that there there's some people from D.C. kind of whispering in his ear. The National Democrats want to bring Mitch in. But I mean, you know, I I would think that if Mitch was receptive to that, he'd have been in by now because it's starting to get a little late. I I mean, you're almost in April because he's got to raise money because what has got what four million dollars or something right now in coffers. Yeah, he's got the most money by far. Why do you think Louisiana has become statewide such a Republican state. And I say that reminding people that two of the now statewide uh, Republicans were elected Democrats. Right. The attorney general and the treasurer were both Democrats when they were initially elected. Why do you think the state is so overwhelmingly well, Republican I think there were, now? I think there were two main events that, that caused the shift. The okay. first one was Katrina, okay, um, because Katrina – really sort of exposed the Democrat Party Changed in the voting algorithm of Louisiana. Well, it did. I mean, forever. you know, it changed the demographics yeah. in the New Orleans yeah. area because people moved out and yeah. all that. But more than that, you know, you kind of laid bare the whole, you know, kind of old-time Louisiana, you know, it's on the state flag, right? Here's the mama pelican feeding the baby pelicans, yeah. right? I hate the state flag. I hate it because it's <laughs> like, what the hell kind of message is that? But... That whole and you know I mean that was Huey Long set yeah. that thing up and that was kind of like this political ethic chicken of the in state. every pot yeah and you really kind of saw yeah chicken in every pot means fifty thousand people in the Superdome that that don't have the sense to get out of the rain right yeah I mean so that I think was sort of a it sh- sort of shook the state up and then what finished off the Democrats at least in the short to intermediate term was. Uh, the BP spill yeah. and Obama shutting down the entire offshore oil industry for six months. Yeah. Right. I mean, 
you know, there was no reason to do that. Lots of people down there across oh, political mean, lines were were upset because, hey, no work. Look, Norby Chabert was a Democrat yeah. at, at that time. Everybody in his family had always been a Democrat. They yeah. were all in office. The, the, the charity hospital in Homa is named after, you know, Leonard Chabert. I mean, that was a prominent, prominent Terrebonne Parish Democrat family. And Norby mm -hmm. was like, I can't be a Democrat anymore. It's poison. I'd just soon be a Republican and be done with that. He hadn't. He didn't have some sign of uh, some sort of ideological sea change. He says, you know, I'm going to be who I'm going to be, but I'm going to be a Republican doing it. Right. Right. And so um, that really changed it. But then the other thing was, as these things were happening, and Obama had something to do with it, but it was really before Obama, the Democrat Party has moved left sure. for a long time. Okay, long time, and especially, you know in post 9-11 days, as they got more and more bold of, you know, how are we going to challenge Bush? They did things that nationally they thought were good for them. And, you know, they got Obama elected. And so there's, they weren't totally wrong, but they really ran away from particularly white Democrats in Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. Who people probably still registered as Democrats. All right. But, you know, they're kind of of the John Bro, Jay Bennett Johnston, yeah. you know, Louisiana persona, Mary Landrew, not the D.C. Mary Landrew, but the yeah. Louisiana of that sort of centrist, you know, well, I'm for God and I'm for guns and I don't like all that abortion. And, you know, mm -hmm. and we need to get the oil business going, but I don't mind redistributing wealth. Right. That was kind of the the white Democrat deal. They started moving away from that party. And then what you began to see and, you know, when Karen Carter Peterson took over the party, you really got to see it was. I think black Democrats in the state picked up and said, hey, wait a minute. We got the majority of the voters here. We also have the majority of the elected officials here that are Democrats, mm -hmm. right? We should run this party, right? And the interesting thing about Mary losing in the fall was that Mary was sort of the old line white Democrat establishment in the states. Like, no, 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 no. You have to have us at the top of the ticket because we're electable and you're not, right? Look at Mary. Mary mm -hmm. keeps beating them. You know, they've run three times against her and she beats them every time. Then she loses, okay? And one of the things after Mary losing that, that you know, we saw was Karen Carter-Peterson goes and does a blog post at Lamar White's site. And she says the future of the Democrat Party in Louisiana is in local elections, meaning the places in the state that are Majority Democrat, meaning the parishes that are majority black, mm -hmm. right? That's the future. So they're going to build a bench, not of John Bros, right? They're going to build a bench of Kip Holdens and Mark Morials and people like that, and that's who they want to run. And you're already seeing, so it's Chris Tyson is the Democrats' candidate oh, sure. for state Secretary of yeah. State. Kip's running for lieutenant yeah. governor. The, the interesting question is, do they look at John Bell Edwards and say— you don't really represent what we're about as but, a party. But money is starting to line up behind him now I as, know, as the standard bearer for the state well, Democratic no, Party. Because nobody's gotten in. Right. But, you know, there were there's all this, you know, kind of behind the scenes. Somebody went to Rick Gallo and asked mm -hmm. him if he wanted to run. And somebody went, well, why are you running for lieutenant governor? You ought to run for governor. And uh, I've heard Cedric Glover's name was brought up. And, yeah. and there was one other guy. Um, Glover was the mayor of Shreveport, right, a former legislator. Right. Um, who was it? It was Gallo. It was Kip. And... Somebody uh, else got written up in Jeremy Alford's uh, piece. Oh, I can't remember who it was. It was doesn't it Mayo. No, nah, Mayo was a congressional candidate, That's fifth right. district. That's right. It was somebody else's state state legislator, state legislator, and I just for the life of me can't remember who it is. But the point is, um, and I wrote this last week is you know don't just assume that that's Scott Angel or Jay Darden trying to find a spoiler and a right. ringer to throw in the race. It may very well be. And I know this because I've talked to actually a couple people that have suggested this. You know, you, there may be a segment of black Democrats in the state that look at this deal and say, Edwards isn't going to win. All right. Mm -hmm. They brought him out and he's, you know, the, the, he's electable. They don't believe that anymore. Right. So maybe it's time to make a separate piece with Jay Darden. Right. We're going to run somebody, split the Democrat vote, and then we're going to throw it to Darden. And Darden's got to work with us because we're in his coalition. Right. So that would be sort of the power play mm -hmm. that it's black Democrats in the state can work the angles to complete their consolidation of control of the Democratic Party. Because remember, 
even if you don't win, there's still a lot of patronage in having a guy at the top of the ticket. Yeah. He gets to, you know, he raises the money and he yeah. gets to figure out what consultants get it and who does this and who does that. And people make a lot of money on some of these elections. So, you know. Yeah, they do. I mean, you know, it's not as good as actually getting elected and then you get to, to, to take taxpayer money and dole it out to people. But the campaign is still there. And if you can't get elected, then you at least want to control the campaign. I got only a couple of minutes or so left, and yeah, I can already see that we're going to do a, a lot of these because you, you, you've got a lot of knowledge on subjects. And the great thing is you don't mind speaking your mind, but I got to ask you before we're done. Starbucks. Because I don't have a boss. <laughs> Let's talk I don't have about, a boss. You know, I work for myself. I'm you know? kind of like the Adam Carolla of this deal. It's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? You can't do it. What? So, Starbucks. I, well... I've always thought a race conversation with your latte. My I've man. always thought Starbucks was a stupid company in the first place. Okay, I mean, I've always, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have a problem with a coffee shop. All right, and you know, they present themselves as kind of this neat deal or whatever. But I mean, you know, who do you think you are, right? I mean, people go in Starbucks and they wait long enough to get coffee, and now you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, what are you gonna do? You're gonna lecture them while they're waiting for, for. I mean, that. That business model has to go out of business in the next five years, right? I mean, it has to. If I had Starbucks stock, I would dump it so fast. I think the thing with Bob Mirabito here in town recently, to me, is proof positive that all of the so-called champions of race dialogue are not really ready to sit down and have candid conversation. And I never care about what people think. Because right. like yourself, I work for me. But at right. the end of the day, it's like, if we're not going to have grown-up conversations on about a subject, let's just not talk. Well, I, well, let's I just agree. Not talk. I mean, if, if it's just going to devolve into, you know, stupidity all day, yeah. then, you know, I, I mean, I'm almost at the point where I'm like, I, you know, I don't want to talk about race. I don't want to talk. You're a black guy. I'm a white guy. I'd rather talk about you. I don't want to talk about the fact that you're black. And that's, that's, Screw that. That's what's, this, nobody gets anywhere when listen, you do that. Millennials are pretty much already there, yeah. right? For the most part. Not totally, but they don't care. Right. They don't care. Right. I mean, if you either are somebody that they agree with or disagree with, right. but it's got very little to do with what color you are. Well, because, and it, I think because we do spend, the whole thing is stupid. And we it's spend, always been stupid. It, it, it's always been stupid, and we spend way too much time on it. You know, I was always taught as a kid, people fall into two races, jerks and not jerks. <laughs> that was pretty much it. Right. It's like, right. and so, right. and, and if, and if it, when it comes to jerks, I'm a racist. I can't stand them. Exactly. So I just so kind of like the bad people, <laughs> right. and I generalize. Right. Well, I mean, look, it, this is the thing, okay? And And I don't often quote things that Ron Paul says because I'm a, I think he's a little loopy at times. But, you know, he had a lucid moment once yeah. and he said this. He said, <laughs> he said, racism is collectivism. All right? And that's collectivist thinking. Mm. Okay? So, you know, I mean, look, I'm a conservative and everybody, oh, you're a racist. And I'm like, you know, it's weird that you should say that because it's not an accident that the Ku Klux Klan was a bunch of Democrats. Okay, collectivist thinking. All right. They were all about judging people based on membership in some group, interest right. groups, whatever. And they're still doing it. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, Unfortunately. I mean, I think Democrats are far more racist than Republicans because I, you know, like I don't. There it is. I don't there's care. a hot. There's a no, headline. I, mean, I don't care what your what the color of your skin is. Right. All right. What can like you know it's just the whole uh, Jack Nicholson and the party. You know. What can I use you for? <laughs> That's right? like, exactly what right. you know. What what do you bring to the table? And you know, he's like, "Well, I'm part of some group that's aggrieved." Like, what are you? Are you aggrieved? What happened to you that's so bad? You know, and it's like, "Well, it's a slavery and Jim Crow." Like, and and how old are you? You're 27 years old. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I mean, that that's you know that that's something that happened to your grandfather. Right. You know. Who's, I don't even know if you know that you're grateful. I don't want to hear about it. This is all a bunch of crap. <laughs> listen, listen. Let's tell people how they can follow you, reach you, the whole thing. Just go to thehayride.com. We, uh, the site has, you know, 10 or 12 posts on it every oh, day. Man. You know, it's, it's not all throwing bombs. We do a no, lot of political no, no, analysis. Right. And, you know, here, you know, here's the things to watch for as this campaign goes on. And here's what's coming. But, you know, um, it's an opinion blog. I mean, and See, we've got I like a lot things of without people. filter. I, I always enjoy reading and talking with people who don't have filters. I think some of the even people you disagree with out in society. I, there are people out there that I respect that I disagree with because, you know what? 
they've got the stones to be who they are. Right. Now, I, to me, it's, it's you know, you're going to go try and massage people. Like, I'm going to tell you something that you disagree with, and but I'm going to sugarcoat it so you can't really tell right. what I'm saying. Right. And I'll look at that and I'm like, that, that's not communication. That's that? crap. You know? And, and, and it's manipulation is what it is. Oh, absolutely it is. So it's just, you, you know, you're, you're trying to flee from the consequences right. of, of, uh, of expression. And I, I just, I've never really understood that. During the middle of the day, sign up. You can get the, you can get eat. It'll be emailed to you because I get it. If during the middle of the day you're having a bad day, just read McKay's stuff. Sometimes you're going to think he's been in the Johnny Walker. I'm (laughs) insulted by that. It's always Woodford or Maker's Mark for me. (laughs) Hey, man, Johnny Walker Blue is like uh, it's the nectar of the gods. I'm not going to argue with that. But, yeah, we have a a daily email blast uh, that goes out Monday through Friday every day called the Nooner. Yeah. And we call it that because it comes out around noon, right. not because yeah, that's of why you call any it other that. reasons. That's that why you, make. you call it that. No, really, we do no, because uh-huh. it comes out around. Oh noon, yeah, so. yeah. Because um, right. uh, you're not you a know, salacious yeah, guy and at it's, all. And it's got, um, you know, it's got uh, basically links to everything that's on the site that day, um, and uh, you know, give you an easy way to peruse what's going on. Uh, and ways that you can navigate what we've got. And, uh, you know, we talk about Louisiana politics. We talk about national politics, whatever strikes our writers fancy that day. Now, you're going to come back, right? Well, anytime you want. All right. And next time we'll, you know. Oh, yeah. The booze. (laughs) The booze. (laughs) Scott McKay with the Hayride. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Ben. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Great discussion with Scott McKay with The Hayride. Hey, listen, don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Hit that subscribe button, and you'll always be able to catch what's happening with The Clay Young Show as we drop it every Thursday. More news about other shows coming to Podcast 225 as well. So stay tuned for that. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Thursday for another edition of The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.